Today is um, a service that would be perhaps better set in, in our living rooms, you know, um, where we could kind of dim the lights and reflect upon what the Bible has been teaching us. We're going to take a look at the life of Stephen. But, I mean, we've already seen him a little bit. But what I propose that we would do is take a, a better, a deeper look at him. Um, this man is a, a man amongst men. He um, was used by our Lord mightily. A short period of time, but, but used of our Lord in such a way that he has impacted your life and my life. The reason he has is through uh, Saul, who was in the audience when he was stoned to death. Saul heard all that went on. He saw what took place. Um, he was able to firsthand take a look at a, a man that, that had his faith in, in, the, in his Messiah. And Saul will forever be impacted. And so you and I are. Almost all that we know about our salvation, about almost all that we know about who Jesus Christ is, was written in the pages of the, the New Testament by Saul. He wrote most of it. And his words and his actions and his life will forever impact you and me. But without Stephen, who knows? Stephen was a man that was used by God. And what makes Stephen so special is that Stephen is not an apostle. Stephen was just someone within the congregation. He was just another person. You remember how they found him. The Hellenistic Jews were having trouble feeling that the widows, their widows, were being overlooked. And so they came to the apostles, and they said, uh, what are we going to do about this? We think our widows are getting the short end of the stick. Fix it. You remember what the apostles said. The apostles said, look, look how big our church has gotten. We don't have the time to do that. We've been called to prayer. We've been called to study and to teach the Word of God. Here's what we suggest you do. Find amongst yourself... Seven men of good reputation, filled with the Spirit, filled with wisdom and knowledge, full of grace, and appoint them. Bring them to us. And if you remember the story, the congregation felt that that was a good idea. And so they chose these men. And out of that group of men bubbled up Stephen. So we met him. But Stephen, I say to you this morning, he is no better nor anything less than any one of us here. He was just a man within the congregation that got a call from God and responded to it. And so with that in mind, as we go through this place in Scripture, I'm going to ask that, that you listen, of course, and that you hear, of course, but that you think, what does Stephen's life mean to me? What does what he have, has done in his life, how does it impact me? And what then, therefore, can I do? So please turn with me to Acts chapter 7, please. And let's read the last 
few verses from verse 54 to the end of the chapter, verse 60. I know that we studied it before, but this time we're going to take a more deeper look at Stephen. And we need to go to chapter 8 and verse 1, because therein tells the story of what happened through Stephen. Read with me verse 54 of chapter 7. Now, when they heard this, they meaning the council, the Sanhedrin, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In verse 57, it says they, meaning the council, they cried out with a loud voice and they covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven Stephen out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. And it says in chapter 8, verse 1, And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Stephen, I say to you, is a type of Christ. He had the attributes that any one of us could have. He had the character that any one of us can possess. He used his life, brief as it seems to be within these couple of chapters, for the glory of his, his God. And through him, you and I have been benefited. What does that mean to us? Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to show. Dear Father, with every fiber of my being, I pray that you would allow this message to go forth with, with your power and your strength. Um, may your heart be felt by every single one of us here in this room. And any that might hear it uh, later um, on the Internet. I pray, dear Father, that we as a body of believers will take seriously our call to ministry, our call to church, our call to the most blessed gift that any and every single one of us who have trusted in your Son has received, and that is our salvation. May we use it, Father, for your glory. And so what I pray to your Father is that you would move me aside, please. Allow us to hear from your heart. You make this promise, Lord, within your word. If we proclaim your words, you will then take whatever is of yours and you will apply it into each of our lives and you say that you will accomplish what you have set it out to do. There's no way that any of us here can try to manipulate that. May we just allow you to be our Father in heaven. 
And may we allow you through the very Spirit of God that you've given to us to guide us into that place that you want us to be. I, I really ask, Father, very desperately that you would move me aside. I also ask, dear Father, that you will then minister to each of us, myself, all of us. I pray and I ask these things in the most precious of all names upon the face of this earth that has ever been given among men. I pray this in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take a look at Stephen. Amazing. Absolutely, utterly amazing. My point's going to be in a moment is just the brevity, the, the, the briefness of his life and how he exploded upon the scene. And my contention with you will be that, that I don't know that Stephen had any intention ever of doing what he has done. He, I think he would have been, had you told him before this all happened, shocked. But God used him, just as he would any of us here in this place. Now, without question, Stephen blamed, blamed the council for the very killing of Jesus Christ, even probably, maybe, more harshly than Peter did. Take a look back with me at verses 51 and 52 of this same chapter. You see what it says. It says in verse 51, Stephen says to them, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you're doing just as your fathers did. He says in verse 52, Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. These are harsh words. But in the midst of all of that, what we see from Stephen is a deep passion for his audience. He was not saying these hard words so as to con um, condemn them. That wasn't his place. He was saying what he was saying so as maybe to move their very souls to see the, the importance of what he was talking about. Because when they finally stoned him to death, he says in verse 60 of chapter 7, falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Through Stephen, what you and I will see, if we look closely at him, is the contrast. The contrast between someone who is sold out in his faith versus someone who is not. We will see the contrast between a true believer in Christ and someone who is not. Stephen came upon the scene and moved people's souls. I asked myself, and I'm asking you a question. If you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, how are you living for Him? Please indulge me for just a while. I want to tell a story. It kind of fits in with this. When I was a little boy, all I could dream about, all I could dream about was playing baseball in the major leagues one day. We were born in, I was born and raised in Highland Park, Michigan, right near Detroit, where 
where David Hill was famous as a tight end for the Lions until he came out here to be with the Rams. And my father would take me to the ballpark on Sundays when they played doubleheaders. And I think it was 50 cents we could sit in the bleachers way in center field and watch the games. And I watched every inning. I, I didn't want to miss one inning of either game. And I used to look on the field and see the beauty of the grass out there. Just beautiful it looked to me. And, and the uniforms that they were all wearing. And I dreamt about, well, would I love to do that one day. My life took me to a path that I was able to do that. I was able to play sports and I was able to play one day in the big leagues. And when I read about Stephen, I thought to myself, you know, uh, I gave every day to that profession as a ball player. I gave to it with all of my heart. I, I, don't, I don't really think that I can look back on too many times where I uh, wasted that time, giving it everything that I had. When I got older and went back to the ballpark as an old-timers games, you know, and I'd see a bunch of my friends that I played baseball with, and I'd hear them tell stories and how some of them said, you know, if I, if I wouldn't have drunk as much, if I drank as much as I did or kind of caroused as much as I did, I, I could have had a better career. I've never said this out loud before. But I'll say to you, I thought in my heart, what a waste. What a waste. Something that you loved as much as playing sports and getting paid for it. When you were a little kid, you would have done for nothing. Now you're getting paid to do it. And you've not given it every ounce of your energy. What a waste. You see, I, I never was a great athlete. I mean, I was never really great uh, baseball player in the big leagues. But every day I shave myself and look in the mirror, I never have to think, if I would have tried harder, I could have maybe been better. I never have to worry about that. I know deep within here that I gave every ounce of my strength, every ounce of my energy to be the very best baseball player I could be. Now I move that to our faith. Now I move it to you and me. And I look around and I see people who are walking in their faith and not really doing anything for the Lord and kind of living on the edge, so to speak, and I don't say it out loud, but I think in my heart, what a waste. What a waste of a life. You and I have the greatest privilege that has ever been given to a person on the face of this earth if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. And that is you and I have flowing within us the very essence of eternal life. We have been given the finest, most wonderful gift that could ever be given to anyone. And that is eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven itself. And the message today will be don't waste that opportunity. Don't waste what God has given to you. So in Stephen, we see a man that did not waste his time what we see is once he said what he said, back to Acts chapter 7, the council became furious 
Look at verse 54. It says in verse 54, when they heard this, meaning what Stephen had said to them, they were cut to the quick. The word cut to the quick means literally to be cut in two, to be, to be cut in half. And then it says they began gnashing their teeth at him. That, that is an expression of rage. It is a, a, an expression of frustration towards Stephen and what he had just said to them. What do we not see? I'll tell you what we don't see written in these pages. We see nothing of some of them saying, maybe he's right. Maybe I'm wrong. We see nothing of possible guilt. No one's saying, maybe that was the Messiah. Maybe we did miss Him. And that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon in this world in which we live to hear someone say, you know, you're right, I'm wrong here. I, I, I best rethink my position. I might have made a mistake here. Look with me at the book of Revelation, the 16th chapter, please. Last book in the Bible. Hold your place here in Acts. You see, within the book of, the, of Revelation, we, we've, we, in the 16th chapter, we come upon a time of tribulation upon this earth where God starts to pour out His wrath upon mankind. And yet, mankind stubbornly refuses to repent over their sin. It's not unique. What we see here in the book of Acts we will see forever until our Lord comes. In Revelation chapter 16 and verse 8, it says the fourth angel. We're kind of catching this in the middle. We, we're not going to read about what the first, second, third angels have done. We just see the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun. And it was given to it, given to the sun, to scorch people with fire. Verse 9, people were scorched with fierce heat. And note, note what takes place after that. What did they do? They blasphemed the name of God who had the power over these plagues and they did not repent so as to give Him glory. Look at verse 10. The fifth angel now pours out His bowl on the throne of the beast and His kingdom because uh, His kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And what did they do? Verse 11, they blasphemed the God of heaven, because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. You see, if you think it through, some people would rather blaspheme God than repent of their sins and change their lives. Some people would rather fight against the truth than examine their own hearts over the, the circumstance, whatever it is that they're going through. The Sanhedrin folks, back in Acts chapter 7, heard the truth. They witnesses, they witnessed the miracles of first Jesus Christ. They witnessed what he had done and they heard what he said. And then he said, they asked him, tell us plainly, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? In other words, are you the Messiah? Are you God here on earth? And he says, yes, my father and I are one. Do you remember? And they picked up stones to stone him. And it's, he says, like, wait a minute here. Wait, wait a minute. For what are the things that I have done are you going to stone me? And they said to him, it's not because of what you have done. It is because of what you have said. You, being a man, have made yourself out to be God. 
They knew what He said. They knew what He preached. They saw the miracles. And the miracles gave Him verification for what He said was truth because at that time, they didn't have the Bible to verify their truth. They needed to see an act of God so as to say, thus saith the Lord when He spoke. And after Him came the apostles. And what did He give the apostles the ability to do? Miracles, signs, and wonders. And then they proclaimed the very Messiah that they missed. And then came Stephen. And what did God give Stephen to do? He gave him miracles, signs, and wonders so as to give validation for the words that he spoke. And they still would not listen to him. They still would not hear what he was saying. The Sanhedrin heard the truth. They witnessed the miracles of our Lord, of the apostles, and of Stephen. But still, they would not repent. Rather... They chose to silence him. They silenced our Lord by killing him. They're going to silence Stephen by killing him rather than considering maybe they're right. Let me think this through. Maybe I ought to repent. And so as it says in verse 57, rather than thinking it through, it says in verse 17, they cried out with a loud voice, And they covered their ears. Don't want to hear anymore. And they rushed. They rushed. They rushed upon him with one impulse. In other words, as a gang, they came upon him. They might as well have covered their eyes too. Because just as Jesus said, you're the blind who are leading the blind. They proved exactly what Stephen was teaching them, what he was preaching at them. What he is saying about them and their fathers, they proved that that it was true. Here they are rejecting yet another of God's messengers. You know, I said they used the word rush. I I, I overemphasized it because Luke's choice of this particular word really portrays the Sanhedrin's, the council's fury and their, their, their anger against Stephen. The word rush in the Greek is H-O-R-M-A-O. It means to make a mad dash, to mean violent rush at. Uh, There's two other places in Scripture that it's used. It's in Mark chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 8. You'll know the story the moment I begin it. There's a demon-possessed man. And Jesus casts the, the demons who are a legion out of him, and he throws them into these swine. Remember? He put them in the swine. And it says both in Mark and Matthew that the swine, once the demons was in them, they rushed to the cliff and fell over into the Sea of Galilee. They made a mad dash to that place. It's the choice of words that that Luke uses here in this 7th chapter, the 57th verse. Why rush? Think about it. Why rush? Let me tell you why I think. Stephen's vision... And Stephen's words, look at verse 56 again. It says in verse 56 of Acts chapter 7, He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He is describing Jesus at the very place that Jesus said He would be. And if His vision and His words are true then he throws the issue right back into the faces of the Sanhedrin, the council, those who were judging him. 
because Jesus told them specifically he would be at the right hand of God when they gave him his mock trial, much like Stephen's mock trial. Look at Matthew chapter 26, and it's not going to teach us a lot. It's just going to verify what I'm saying is exactly true. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 and 64, it says, Jesus Christ, this is at his trial, he kept silent. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus Christ looked at this high priest person, and in verse 64, he said to him, You've said it yourself. Nevertheless, I'll tell you, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming out of the clouds of heaven. And now Stephen asserts that there he is. Stephen says, I see him. Right where he said he would be, I see him. Seated, standing at the right hand of God. So here is their dilemma. And they've got one. I've got a major dilemma here. Either they silenced Stephen, and they chose to do so by executing him, or they admit that maybe they're wrong. Maybe they made a bad decision about Jesus Christ. Maybe he truly is who he said he is. Because if Stephen is correct, and because they killed Jesus Christ, and because Stephen says, I see him standing at the right hand of God in heaven, just as he said, they then, as I told you from the beginning, they now are on trial. I told you, Stephen was going to turn the tables on them. And turn them he did. He no longer is the one who is being judged. He is allowing them to see they are being judged. And they are either going to say, he, Stephen, is wrong and let's execute him. Or maybe he's right. And we better think this through. No, they judged themselves. <clears throat> and as you and I know, they found themselves guilty. They didn't admit to it. But that's what they are. Stephen turned the tables on them. And there, in the midst of this angry crowd, watching all of this, in verse 58, look. Verse 58. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Watching all of this take place will be a man who we see here as Saul, who we will learn later and study and get to know and love him by the name of Paul. And this man's life will soon be changed forever. And in his life being changed, so will your and my life be changed forever. Saul becomes an amazing, powerful example of how no one is ever impossible for God to reach. If you're seated here this morning and you think, I've done way too much, there's no way that God forgive, can forgive me for all that I've done, I'm here to say to you, that is a lie. God wants to forgive you. You are not impossible to reach. Nor are any of us who are seated here unusable for ministry unto the Lord. No matter what it is we have done, Paul called himself in Scripture the chief of all sinners. And yet God used him mightily. As we noted 
along with all of the others in, in chapter 8, verse 1, it's Saul who agreed in putting Stephen to death. In verse 1 it says Saul heartily agreed with putting him to death. And now here in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, something major happens in the life of the church. Major happens. All because of Stephen. In verse 1, after it says that Saul was in hearty agreement of putting him to death, it says then on that day, on that day, folks, on that very day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. Up to this time, they were finding favor with the people. No more. Now, the people are angry. And they want them killed. They want them destroyed. And so the church scatters. It says they all, at the end of verse 1, they, all, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. You see, the death of Stephen helped move the church into action across the world in which we now live. Because they became scattered throughout Judea and Samaria just as Jesus Christ originally had ordered them to do. Look back at Acts chapter 1. One of the first things that our Lord said to him before he ascended into heaven is in verse 8. He says, you will receive power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even, he says, into the remotest parts of this earth. Our call, the call to the church of Jesus Christ to present our Lord and Savior to the world begins here in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Some people might reason, Stephen is so gifted. Stephen had so much to offer. And yet, his life is snuffed out after only preaching one Short message. And some might say, what a waste. I'm here to, to disagree with that thought. You see, the, the length of your and my ministry isn't that issue. What is that issue is what do we want to do with what God has given to us. Let me divert a little, my attention a little bit from this to a story. About maybe now... 20 years ago, I don't remember exactly, when I started out pastoring in the other church, I grabbed, uh, grabbed a group of guys and, and we met once a week in the morning. We'd do a, a, a small group Bible study. We, we had nothing of the sort going on at the church at the time. So I met with this group of guys. In that group um, wandered a, a man whose wife made him come to church. He was an atheist. He wanted nothing to do with God. What he enjoyed doing was listening to what, how Christians reasoned. And, and he tried to break down what they were reasoning. His name is Wes Brown. He would come to the study all the time. Faithful. I mean faithful. He'd be one of the first ones there. Stay and listen. In the process of that time, I don't know how much later after he started attending, one of the guys invited a friend of his by the name of Robert. Robert was a Mexican-American man. He was born and raised in the barrios. Came from a very, very, very difficult background. He spent his life basically gang-banging, I guess you call it, and uh, abusing people. 
women as well as men. The moment you met him, Robert, it didn't take you five minutes to know this is a special man. You could, you could see God all over this guy. He just loved the Lord. There's another person. There's a couple people I met like that. I, one is a, one of my dear friends named Kenny Hutchison. Another is a guy that you maybe heard on radio, Raul Reese. Ever, meet, ever hear Raul Reese on radio? Oh, he's wonderful. I met him a long, long time ago. And, and, and you, only, you only had to know him for about a couple of minutes to know this is a special man. Anyways, uh, this guy Robert, during this time, as he was with us, was we were just growing more and more fond of him. He was just a just amazing guy, and we we'd tell him, tell us stories, and tell us about some of the things that you've done, and some of the things you're doing. And he challenged every one of us to get a life of ministry. He's now he was now then back in the barrios. He was leading all the people he used to abuse. He was leading them to Christ and watching them come to know their Savior. And, and then in that process of time, he told us, I'm dying of AIDS. I'm dying of AIDS. Shortly thereafter, he had to go to the hospital and we'd go and visit him and sing and try to encourage him and basically he would encourage us. And Wes, Wes grew very fond of Robert. He just... He just saw something unique in this guy. He just grew fond of him. And so Wes would come to all of the, the, the hospital calls and he would do all of that. And, he, and Robert died. And shortly thereafter, I was meeting with Wes at a, a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant, because that's the only place where I went. Let me go out to eat. Mexican food, the best. Sitting in this restaurant. And Wes was angry. And I said, what are you so mad at? He says, why does your God take a guy as nice and as wonderful as Robert, and why does he let him die if he's such a great God? He could impact the world. He could impact the barrios. He was doing a great work where he was. He was helping people that desperately needed help. Why did God let him die? I didn't know what to say at first. And I thought for a moment, and like all of a sudden come upon me, I asked Wes a question. I said, do you think Robert was that great? Oh, yes, he was quick to admit. I said, do you think he, he reached many people for Christ? And he said, oh, yes. I said, do you think if he still lived, he could reach more? And he said, yes. And I said, then let me ask you a question. How come you've not come to Christ through him? Why not you if Robert's so great? Well, it was quiet then. And I was smart enough not to say anything else and let Wes think. And I'm here to say to you that we only knew Robert for a short while. But he has impacted this church. Because I would dread to think what we would do without Westbrook. I would hate to think we'd have to open the doors without him. And this life called Robert impacted, I'm sure, many others, but for certain, a man by the name of Westbrook. 
Was Stephen's life a waste? Oh, of course not. A young man named Saul, who stood in the crowd, was exposed to the supernatural qualities of Stephen's life. Qualities, he wasn't an apostle, folks. He was just like you and me. He was just a, a person in the pews. No different than us. Called by God. Saul saw him die. Much like I'm certain he heard Jesus Christ died. Jesus said, Father, receive my spirit. Saul, I mean, Stephen said, Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus said, Father, forgive them of their sins. They know not what they're doing. Stephen says, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Saul heard him say that he saw Jesus Christ in heaven, just as Jesus Christ said he would be. And now Stephen uses similar words that our Lord used. And Stephen may not have had a long ministry, folks, but I'm telling you, God used Stephen mightily, mightily for the cause of Christ. Because Stephen played a vital role in Saul's salvation. Saul became the great Apostle Paul, who forever shook up the world through his messages, through his wisdom, his teaching, and through his writings that you and I now have and can know more about our Lord. With that in mind, I say to you this day, never minimize the impact that you and I can have for the cause of Jesus Christ. Truly, you and I will never know how God will use what some might mistakenly call a small or insignificant action to bring glory to our Lord. As the Lord normally does, He allows incidents to happen in my life so as to uh, make sense of what I would like to teach. This past week, I received one of the most wonderful letters I've I've ever received from, from two people who, f who formerly were in ministry, um, started attending the church on the hill, uh, but bitter towards God. Just burnt out. They started coming here, and they wrote in the letter that, that when they came... They saw our parking team, traffic team, and they saw us, the joy that these people had of making them feel welcome and it started to soften them. They even saw a guy, they said, that was wearing a beanie on his hat directing traffic. And they said, this is a crazy place, but these people seem to really want to have a good time. It softened their hearts for when they walked into this place. They said, furthermore, would you tell the music ministry that they helped soften our hearts to know and to love the Lord? I'm going to say what they said. They, on the church on the hill, they said that the music was so loud they would not come until it was over. They didn't want to be entertained. They wanted to worship. And they said, here at this place, you have a music ministry that leads us 
in worship. We know the words. We can hear the words. We can see the people on the stage praising God and leading us. Insignificant ministries, parking team, music team? I don't think so. Because those people now wrote to say they're working at another church again. They, they, went back, they went back into ministry because of the Rock Community Church. You and I will never know the people we might, we might um, impact. Last week, when I walked off the podium to speak, at the end, sitting over here was a young man. I didn't think much of it. When I went and saw him, he's a teenager. I just went, man, hi, and I gave him one of these, you know. And I was still in the message, much as I am right now. And their folks told me that that so impacted that young boy to say, you'll never know what that man just was just a handshake. It wasn't like, um, you know, it wasn't a lot. I didn't, I didn't even think about it. I just did it. We never know what God wants to do through us. And so my call to you this morning is, you have, if you have the Lord, the most precious of gifts. You have eternal life flowing through you and you have the Spirit of God living in you who has gifted you. Don't waste it. Don't waste these days by being too busy. Now listen, there's no way that I'm telling you to be like Billy, us to be like Billy Graham or some great preacher or something. I'm not asking us that. I'm just saying use what God has given you for the glory of God. Use what God has so tenderly and preciously given to you so that you might impact another. And let me say this to you. You probably won't even know that you've impacted them unless they're kind enough to tell you. But usually people only call when they're angry, not when they're happy. And so they might not tell you. But God keeps chart of these things. And we'll do it for His glory. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for uh, the example of Stephen. He had the character traits of your son. I believe you allowed us to see that because he wasn't anybody special insofar as being an apostle. He's just like one of us. Just was sitting in church one day and they asked him, would you help with the widows of our church? It's as far as we know. And then, Father, he became mightily used by you. I don't think there was a time in Stephen's life that he understood what he might be doing on that day when they stoned him to death. I don't believe he knew that. I believe, Father, he was just desirous to be obedient and to be used by you for that time. Lord, I pray your blessings upon us here as a church. May we never get caught into the trap 
of playing church. Let us be a congregation of people who love you, worship you, be desirous to be used by you. I pray these things, Father, in the precious and most magnificent name above every and all names. That is the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you all more than I can tell you. Thank you so much for being here today. Have a great day. See you next week.